Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Welcome to this episode of the SG Engage podcast. I'm your host, Steve McLaughlin with BlackBot. In the past few episodes, we've talked about some of the lessons learned uh, over the past year dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic from a nonprofit sector perspective. And one of the areas that I really wanted to try and explore today was the impact that COVID has had on leaders in the nonprofit sector. And I can't think of a better guest to join us once again on the show to discuss this topic than Mark Pittman. Mark is the founder and CEO of the Concord Leadership Group. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Thanks so much. So you engage with a lot of nonprofit leaders and and certainly have over the past year or so. And you penned what I think are some pretty insightful things in one of our latest NP experts ebooks about what's changed about leadership and then also probably what's not changed. What's one thing that reflecting back a bit and then looking forward would you say is is important for leaders to understand in the sector where we are now? I think, well, there's so much. I'm, the two, first two that come to mind are the importance of strategic planning and, and reframing what a strategic plan really is. Um, and also the importance of how we measure our, our staff, volunteer, and our own personal work as leaders. So with the, uh, the part of strategic planning, everybody, the, I have seen an increasing desire for people to, for strategic plans to have sort of exact roadmaps. I want to know exactly what the population growth is going to be, exactly what the uh, economic impact of our nonprofit is going to be, and what I should do for the next five to 10 years. The RFPs are a wish list of, <laughs> of uh, details that, that leaders want and not under, you know, there's, it's understandable that they would want those, but it's not necessarily realistic to have that. And I think those people that had that sort of perfected planning as opposed to what are we, what's the end that we have are beginning with? What are we trying to accomplish? The the people that had the, in this week, we're going to do this next week, we're going to do that. And then these are the, this event's going to happen when the pandemic hit and lockdowns happened or stay at home, that was all upended. And it was interesting to watch the leaders that everybody was scared, but some leaders were able to still continue navigating the ship um, while other leaders were panicking in a non-productive way. Um, And I'm not shaming anyone. Um, I think it's just habits that we get into about how we plan. I think the pandemic really uh, helped us to see some of the real problems with the very structured strategic plan, not allowing for uh, the inevitable changes that come our way. Do you think that that's a a byproduct of us humans, uh, fallible humans who, you know, just uncertainty, some of us deal better with uncertainty than others. And certainly the pandemic through a multitude of uncertainty and many different dimensions at us than we were probably accustomed to having to deal with on a regular basis. And so maybe is there a, there's a flight to certainty or, you know, well, maybe we can plan all the things that can be planned versus embracing a bit more of uh, the uncertainty that is just comes with the job comes with the world. 
first of all, I think it's important to acknowledge that nonprofit leadership is already impossible. You have to be the uber extrovert, not extrovert, but at least outward facing fundraiser, community ambassador, PR, media darling. And you have to be the expert of operations and HR law and performance updates and everything internal as well as as well as well all the board management. Uh, many of the executive directors and CEOs I coach did not realize that board management was going to be at least 30% of their week because nonprofits traditionally don't orient boards well. So I think the part of what I, I saw is, yeah, I think it's been part because we're human and we just want certainty. It would be just nice to know uh, what to do today. What do I do today? What do I do tomorrow? And kind of so much of our life is going up through school and uh, early jobs is task completion. Yeah. Um, tell me what to do. And you know, what am I getting graded on? That's when I teach time management, actually, that's one of the things I say is, is this going to be on my report card? Uh, because there's a whole bunch of different things that are going to be done. But at the job review, is it going to be great that I was a team player? Or is it going to be more important that I we accomplish something else that we didn't talk about? So um, I think task completion is such so ingrained in us. And that's where we get a lot of our validation and our promotions. So when it comes into leadership, there's it's you feel like you're cheating when you're not doing the task completion and you're letting others, you're really letting others flourish when they're doing it. But it seems like you're cheating because you haven't, most of us haven't had the experience of vision casting and kind of looking out where in front where the boat's going, not at what's happening in the boat right now. Yeah. And to your point, that's often a challenge for a leader who's asked or it's assumed that they're both, you know, steering the boat and knowing what's happening below deck at the same time, which is just a, in many ways, an impossible task. So that definitely is. One of the things that's amazing, though, is I guess using the boat analogy, maybe, um, is knowing the landmarks. Um, I don't boat, you know, I haven't, I don't even know the right terms if it, what the verb is. Is it boating? Is it yachting? Is it sailing? Uh, it reminds me about what about Bob? I sail, I sail <laughs> as he's strapped to the mast. But I think the, the leaders that, it, while all of us were freaking out, and I hope, one of the things I hope that comes out of the pandemic for is this common shared uncertainty. Often when we as leaders experience uncertainty and we try to cover it up because we think it's just us, everybody else seems to have their stuff together and we don't. This was a global moment, extended moment of nobody having having it figured out. And the people that had it figured out had to change too. So they didn't have it figured out at some point. So I'm hoping that that will um, rehumanize <laughs> some of this for us. But the the people that seem to do better were the ones that kind of had the landmarks. They could see different pointers of where the boat was going. And I call those values. They're able to, they knew, I don't know what each day is going to look like, but I do know that we are committed to seeing our, being as humanely treating with our staff as we can. We're committed to our mission. So if that means letting people go, that our first, you know, we're not going to just jettison people. Uh, we want to take care of people, but we also have a long-term objective in this mission space or, or serving this other population. And, and d- those kind of values really reassure people when you are able to tell people what's not going to change. Uh, and when you're honest, so you, there's that honesty of, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's not like you're falling apart. <laughs> you can fall apart with your coach, maybe your board chair, maybe you know, a trusted advisor, a trusted friend. But um, the that poise of saying, here's what I know to be true. And that that adds a real confidence that instills with the team uh, and helps them do some productive thinking. 
No, that's a great point. I mean, one of the phrases I kept using and still use is, you know, focus on what's not going to change, right? The need to engage with supporters, the in, the need to get, uh, you know, other staff volunteers to be advocates for the organization, the right. managing the board, like that's not going to change. So if you, if you want to maybe keep using the analogy, there's a land, there's a buoy out there and that buoy, despite the waves and everything else, well, it may bob up and down. It isn't going anywhere. It's going to still be there. Yeah. Yeah. That's really it. There's a, I, I listened to this podcast years ago called From Founder to CEO. And one of the episodes, the host said that entrepreneurs tend to be looking for what's changing and what's coming up and be excited by that. And so if, if that, a lot of leaders in nonprofits of all sorts of different sizes have that kind of entrepreneurial, social venture, social entrepreneurial streak, and they forget to remind people what isn't changing. But many people in our organizations are really concerned about the present. And that's good because we have people to serve and land to conserve and history to preserve. So we need to, we need to have people that are aware of the present as well and reminding people of what's not going to change. I liked how you changed it from or, or added the, the nuance. It's not just the values, but it's also there are tasks that we still are still going to be required to be done. Yeah. Um, and they, they're, they're still you know, proven to be important. So we'll, we'll keep playing this uh, uh, boat <laughs> metaphor as much as we can, but uh, until it sinks, until it sinks, <laughs> there are also probably some things that we've got to, you know, there's some ballast, there's some, some stuff we've got to throw overboard if we are really truly going to make it to the destination we want to get to. And I'm wondering what are some things that you've, you know, identified as areas where, you know what, we're going to, we're going to leave that thing in the past because we're not going that way or that, that mindset or that approach is not going to serve us well going forward and give yourself an excuse or a, uh, an opportunity to, to lighten the load and, and throw some of this stuff over the side in an econo- uh, uh, environmentally responsible way. Of course. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> That's great. Well, to tie in with what we were talking about strategic plans, I think part of one of the things that I hope we jettison, although it's it's intriguing to see leaders in both and many sectors trying to clamor, you know, back to some sort of control of this, but um, I hope we get over the butts and seat equals productivity mentality. Major gift officers have had this for a problem for a long time. They're best doing their job when they're not in the office, but their managers and their CEOs don't know how to measure their productivity because of they're not looking at the dashboards or other numbers. And so there, there's often, even in fairly large organizations, there's often a strain on major gift officers for, well, you need to be, a, you're not being a team player because we don't see you here at, at the headquarters. When I remember doing it, it was a, <laughs> the top C, uh, chief development officer for a hospital and, um, I tracked my time to, to prove a point. 50% of my time was team meetings and community-based stuff. Uh, and they wanted me to raise more money. And I said, great, get me out of some of these team meetings. I know I need to be a team player. And I know that I have, you know, I can tell you where the money comes from. And based on my other time measurements, the CEO then made a choice that he didn't want me out of those things. So we didn't increase the, the goals. Uh, but I think really the scariness of trying to figure out what are we really paying people to do? It's not just to soothe our egos by being physically present, but there are jobs and some of the jobs are going to be being physically present for sure. But I think that will be part of it is really helping identify what, what the outcomes or the, um, 
the things that we want our, our teams to do, including our boards. A lot of, a lot of nonprofit leaders um, freaked out when boards couldn't meet. Uh, boards worked really hard during the pandemic and did some amazingly good work and, and did over, work overtime. But the staff didn't, didn't know how to measure that because they had gotten, they had convinced themselves that the value was being together in a room once a month. Just like fundraisers had convinced themselves that the value was selling a table of 10. Yeah. And that's not the value. The value is the work that the nonprofit's doing. The value is being part of something bigger than themselves. And so I'm hoping we can get, leave some of that false ideas and, and try to re really recenter on what really is important. Yeah, I think there it was a definite realization on the part of a, of a lot of folks that boy, we've been really focused on you know outcomes masked as outputs. That a lot of the stuff is very output focused, right? Yeah. Being in the seat, you know, you know, we could probably spend a whole other episode on this. How thing. was your gala? Well, we filled the, we filled the ballroom, and and that was right. Yeah. Well, and then and then you go hybrid or virtual, and you realize we're actually making money. This yeah, and I didn't have to deal with catering. And I now not to say that that doesn't have downstream impacts, but you know, in a lot of ways, and we could probably do a whole separate episode on this. So much of what we see, both in the for-profit nonprofit sector, is 19th century management techniques in a 21st century culture. And I think a lot of that's just coming to a head of like, you know, just stop. This is. I think there's a person that wrote a book about data in that. <laughs> <laughs> your yeah, your book really documents how we really haven't changed much. It's really no, interesting. We're just yeah, we're yeah. I mean, we're we've polishing got, things. We have podcasts and TikTok, but uh, we're still <laughs> we're so still managing. One of the other things that I hope. Well, there are two more things that I hope that we leave behind. Uh, one of them that I wrote about in the NP Experts piece is the really kind of paternalistic um, nature of ma making decisions for donors. And, and a nonprofit in the United States anyway, in Canada, the structure, the economic structure, viability structure is that you ask other people for money. You may have other, you know, unrelated business income. You may have fees and things that your tickets you're selling, but there is a component of philanthropic giving. And uh, there was so many people when the pandemic hit, just removed the, the, took away the right for donors to say, I can or can't be part of this by saying, oh, it's not the right time to ask for money. Oh, we can't possibly do that now. That's not respectful. The motivation behind that is understandable, but I think hopefully people can see that that is, the, anytime we start taking over the, the decision-making for someone else, we are robbing them of their humanity. And that's not our place. That's not, that is not acceptable. And what we found with the, the nonprofits uh, that we worked with through the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference and my clients also, is that donors were so incredibly generous, in part because the world was falling apart around them, but a $25 donation or a $25,000 donation was something tangible that they could do. Yeah, it's a huge impact. Have control. They feel like they could make a difference right now, yeah. Yeah, it, it, and, and it, instead of just you know binge-watching TV and eating ice cream, stressing out about what's going to happen next, in the midst of that, hey, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I can give $10. Uh, we had one, one of my friends in Michigan um, got really scared because they'd never really asked people more than annually or, or so. And they started asking people every three weeks and they did the whole session, the whole, you know, create the ask, show, do the thank you, have the impact report. And then three or four weeks later, make another ask. And some donors gave three or four times in two months and thanked them 
thank you so much. They've never had so many donors thanking them for soliciting. <laughs> thank you so much for letting me be part of this. The other part, though, that happened with donors is I'm sure you're well aware is people because they weren't distracted by all the other stuff, the other outputs, they were actually had time to talk to the people that support them. I'm, I've never been an advocate. I know there's a community centered and donor centered kind of binary, which I, I don't, I think is a helpful conversation, but I don't think that's the end. I don't think any nonprofit should ever exist to serve its donors, but I don't think any nonprofit can exist if it doesn't serve its donors. It's sort of like there's, they are part of the mission. So we need to talk to our donors and learn to speak their language, but we're not there to just make donors feel good. We're there to accomplish a mission. And there's going to be a lot of people that aren't on board with us and it's okay to say no to guests. So I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating. So anything, other, you know, I'm not advocating changing the total, total mission to just be making people glad handing people and making them feel good. Yeah, and in that just asking donors, Hey, how are you doing? How are you getting through this? The deepening of relationships that we saw over the last 18 months has been remarkably strong. And the, I can't wait to see the impact for that going forward. In a time where in the United States, donations, the number of donors keeps dwindling. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for some of the longevity and the retention rates that we're going to see coming out of this. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to watch what type of organizations and what strategies and tactics did they use that, that drove higher retention rates because of how they, they responded. What are, what are some things that you would say, you know, just aren't coming back. I know there's a lot of talk now, like, hey, well, things seem to be getting back to quote unquote wow. normal and, you know, this might finally blow over and yada, yada. But uh, what are some things that from your perspective are like, you know, that's not coming back, right? The, the horse and buggy isn't coming back. The, the <laughs> but I like my horse and buggy. <laughs> the telegraph is not coming back, right? That's a great question. I think there's something to do, something around events. The big... I, well, the thing is, we've been, both been around the sector long enough to know how incredibly resilient it is to go back to its old ways. So um, I can only say aspirationally what I hope won't be going back. <laughs> I, I'm liking this the model of hybrid events. I love the way that having access to all income levels and all the people that are, you know, there's a, a access and equity sort of uh lens that the hybrid events seem to, or, or virtual events have let people have. So I hope that that is going to, is going to, going to, I hope the exclusive only, only rich people can show up at this thing won't necessarily return or, or in the depend, I guess I would, I really hope is the dependence on a gala. I, I hesitate because I I've seen nonprofits already jumping to this even before the pandemic, uh, you know, mask limits were, were lifted, but, um, I'm really hoping that the gala only model doesn't come back because that is such a time suck on the staff. If if it's only for fundraising, I think there are other ways to accomplish that with smaller events and uh, more meaningful interactions with people being served and the people doing the donating. Yeah. Now would be a really valuable time to engage with donors and some interviews and some other things to find out what did you actually miss? <laughs> what did you, did you miss the commute to the gala? Did you miss renting a tux? Did you miss? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And That's really interesting out, hey, because some of them will have missed meeting together. We're hearing yeah, that strongly. Miss, hey, I missed the networking opportunity. I missed the opportunity to see people that I sometimes, you know, only see at this type. Of, okay. Well, let's, how do we, how do we facilitate that in a, in a, maybe a different way or in a, in a, 
more effective way. Or what would also be interesting is how many people say, wow, you know, you used to put on this big event or something like that, but it turns out that now I can really see what's happening with the mission. And yeah. that's the thing I want to do. Well, I was talking to this, the the folks at Swim Strategies and they were saying that corporate sponsors are still not, because they have risk that they have to take. So they're still not wanting their event, their their staff to go to events at least until 2020, uh, 2022, I mean. And um, that is really in- intriguing to me if people are going to go back to, well, the real benefit of sponsorship is you get a table or two. So I'm hoping people will question their assumptions too of thinking, oh, I already know what the donors want from this. Uh, because I, I think part of what the pandemic showed to us is that we really don't. There's The impact is much better in, in not having a commute um, and being able to watch from home could have, could and with their family around could be even more more beneficial. Yeah. But what, one of the things too, that, the, and, uh, that I, the last thing I was thinking about that I hope people leave behind and, and you know, again, human nature is incredibly resilient uh, to change. So I'm not sure that this is going to happen, but I would hope that leaders could leave behind a bit of the bravado. It's not that, um, you know, you can't, I, I spoke to a leader years ago who said, yeah, I like, I know vulnerability is a strength. I've heard that but I can't be vulnerable um, in a way that causes the hundred people that report to me to freak out about their job. Um, I need to be vulnerable to certain people if I'm going to be vulnerable to a coach, to a peer. Uh, but I think that I hope that more leaders will kind of embrace that insecurity or, or not at least, at least not beat themselves up. There are enough critics in their life. <laughs> they don't need to be the loudest one. And when they're insecure that, uh, well, I, I call it the surprising gift of doubt that it will move them into exploring is there a reason why this model or method doesn't work for us? Is it and not and use all the data that's out there and also compare it with core values, their personal core values, their organizational core values, the way their team works, the way their their organization was created to address uh, a topic in the space. It's much easier to do that if you leave beside the I must be broken because I feel insecure or I feel adrift. A lot of leadership is creating in that creative space, not completing tasks. And I'm, I'm hoping that what we'll see more leaders coming emerging from this. Well, I know we are because some of the choices that newer leaders are making reflect more values-based choices, both for their staff and uh, for the, the people they serve. So I'm hopeful. Think, yeah, no, <laughs> I, think, I think you're on the right track there. And certainly... I think you've offered some sage advice, but also some just really insightful observations about what's really happening and, and how leaders can start to prepare for it or or make changes or stay the course. Uh, and mm. Mark, really appreciate you joining us once again on the show and can't wait to have you back in the uh, in the future. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure. That's it for this episode of the SG Engage podcast. This episode is brought to you by the letter L. Thanks for listening.